does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Fifth straight loss on Monday Night Football for the Colts. Again, apologies to those in the national TV audience having to witness this product here over the last month. Uh, 4-10-1 now on the year. Uh, Jim Irsay was pretty active pregame in terms of a chat with ESPN that aired on the Monday night telecast. So just to reiterate, this conversation occurred after the Vikings game, uh, but obviously before last night. And and Jake, he, um, first off, I think credit to, uh, is a Michelle Beisner buck? Yes. Okay. She, um, I thought she asked some very direct questions and kind of hit all three of the big ones coming up here this offseason. That was GM, head coach, and quarterback related. And I thought um, I thought it was a really well-done interview, and I'm uh, curious how fans will react to these answers. I, I thought, first off, I didn't realize that that was Joe Buck's wife, to be honest with you, but... I thought it was interesting coming out of the interview. Uh, Joe Buck spent like a minute and a half. I mean, not literally, but did anybody else notice how he kind of went like out of his way to be con- overly con- like thankful to Jim Irsay for doing the interview? Did you? You know, a lot of owners wouldn't mm. do that. And thank you so much for doing it. And it was such a kind interview for Jim Irsay to give his time. And a lot of owners don't give their time, but Jim Irsay did, and it was really appreciated. And it was wonderful that he did it because a lot of and it was like, okay, I get it. Yeah, um, I don't think he's wrong, but I'm he, sure no. there's a little bit of reason behind that. Yeah, I agree I, that he. And, and you're right, he is correct. I mean, that is credit to Jim Irsay, who Jim Irsay to me, Kevin is. I think a fascinating individual because someone said it on on Twitter to me and I think it was a really good point that simply said you know my concern about Chris Ballard this is what someone said to me but I echo this so you could say my thought as well is that Chris Ballard by continuing with the Chris Ballard regime I think there are those that would hope that what you would get is, in fact, an authoritarian figure that has enough clout league-wide and experience within the position to be able to, even though he is the owner, usurp the opinion or the input of Jim Irsay like a Bill Pullian did and have Irsay just kind of sit back and watch the results as opposed to interjecting himself. Not that Irsay, per se, doesn't understand football. But I just think that the the more voices you have in the room sometimes, the harder it becomes to hear the message. And I think what you have with the Colts right now, just my opinion, is the perception at least that you have a franchise that is being run from multiple with multiple agendas. And you just kinda of don't you don't really know what the direction is. It just seems to be like an aimless direction right now 
But in terms of the two big questions, who is going to be the head coach of the Colts? Who is going to be the general manager of the Colts for next season? Because I think at this point, we, we ripped the Band-Aid off this year and look to next season. To your point, Kevin, she asked very direct questions, and Jim Mercer did not necessarily hesitate on his answers. Here's how it sounded last night on ESPN television. We're having this conversation in six months. You and I get to sit down and chat. Who's your head coach? Who's your GM? Who's your quarterback? Head coach is unknown until the interview process goes forward. I will go into it fiercely open-minded, and I'll be looking for the best direction for us to win. Jeff, I believe, is an outstanding candidate, so obviously, you know, he's competitive for that. You know, Chris Ballard will be our general manager, and the quarterback, it's very much up in the air right now on on what direction we'll be going. This journey, uh, you know, keeps going, and, and I'm all in for it. My thought on that is the following. And Kevin, I want you, your opinion on this. Um, I do believe, as I have for a while now, because I know that there is precedent for Jim Mercer's mind to change or for his message to not be followed up as what happens. I mean, we know, you know, when Grigson, for that matter, I recall distinctly, distinctly, when Jim Caldwell was fired, John Clayton was on the air on ESPN doing a stand-up that Chris, that Jim Caldwell had been retained. Mike Chappell, I believe, I, I, I'm not going to throw Chapp under the bus. I know for a fact, I mean, I said on the radio, Jim Caldwell is being retained. And then, like an hour later, he got fired. The messages, you know, there were... With Grigson and Pagano, I can't remember which one, Kevin, you would remember better than I, but there was one where, you know, he was like, no, you know, that's, we're, we're staying the course, whatever, and they made it, they made a change. So his mind can change, but I do believe, as you had said, Kevin, I, I believe that he believes in Chris Ballard. I don't know whether that's because he, he sees something in him, which may be the case, or if it's because he knows that's a general manager that allows Jim Mercer to continue to make decisions. I don't know which. All I know is, I hate to be Debbie Downer for Colts fans, but I just don't see light at the end of the tunnel, Kevin. I don't because the quarterback position is the most important in sports, as you'd mentioned, and I just don't think there's a guarantee. I, I don't, and and I don't, I don't see the weapons around. As I said last night, when you look at the fact that you went from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger back to Matt Ryan to Nick Foles and nothing has changed, that means that either – the Colts are not very good at evaluating quarterback or the Colts are not very good at putting pieces around the quarterback that they believe in. It's one of the two. Or both. Or both. Or both. And, and those yeah. are troubling places to be, Kevin. Yeah, I, I would argue both. Um, I think one, one thing to note GM-related, uh, the firing of Ryan Grigson occurred pretty deep into January. This was not like a Black Monday fire. Um, this was not a, a season-ended, boom, the GM's out. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was two, maybe even three weeks into January before Jim Mercer made that move. Uh, and again, Chris Bowett is under contract through 2026. So technically, you know, there doesn't need to be any sort of public announcement or extension or anything like that um, on the Ballard front. Of those three answers, Jake, he believes Jeff Saturday is an outstanding candidate. He's going to be competitive for the head coaching job. Chris Ballard's going to be back in 2023. And I thought the quarterback answer was 
he certainly didn't commit to the future. He didn't commit long term. Uh, you know, he pretty much said a quarterback's very much up in the air and what direction we will be going. If you were a Colts fan, what what would frighten you the most out of those three answers? GM, head coach, or quarterback? And how Ursain answered those? Well, quarterback, to me, is the, the safest answer that he gave. You know, hey, that's still under evaluation. I, basically, what he says there, you know, he doesn't know what player it's going to be in the draft, but that seems to – I mean, if it's Matt Ryan, he would have said, well, Matt Ryan's our quarterback. That would be troublesome to me. The fact if it was that he Matt says, Ryan, I just would have, I would have ran out to the Atlantic, right? Or uh, I think we're on the golf side, actually. <laughs> just ran into the golf. You know, yeah. I, if it's Matt Ryan, that tells you what you need to know right there. He, he's They're going to go into the draft, right? But um, he didn't say that. But he did. Because the quarterback is very much up in the air right now what direction we'll be going. It, it, he didn't throw in, hey, we need to look at the long term. We see how the AFC is trending. Any of those but, things. And this is the guy, Jake, that but, has signed Kevin, off on Chris Ballard's plan at quarterback, which I have all, and you, you and I have had this conversation. I've always found that odd that. Ursay has been so willing to see his franchise go with this band-aid stopgap route. That's not at all the sort of success the franchise has achieved under his ownership, and yet he has signed off on Chris Bauer doing that. Again, when he didn't say, though, he didn't say Matt Ryan's name. There's no other choice. I guess to your point, Kevin, it could be that you're going back to the, you know, somebody said last night. Carr. You know what's interesting? I thought about this last night. Follow me here. My, this is a, a random Jake Query two in the morning brain dropping during insomnia. Wouldn't it be coincidental? Can you imagine like being your neighbors and knowing this is going on. <laughs> it's like the pork chops, right, Mark? Yeah, That's bad meat. Sorry, I'll try to keep it down. By the by, the way, Mark, what is this picture of? Of I, I feel like it's a nice tie, though. Is that a nice knot I that I, I tied? I, there? I googled Kevin Bowen, and one that popped up was Kevin Bowen NFL Combine. So, did you wear that at the Combine one year? It does look like I'm in one of those ballrooms over at uh, at the convention center. Yeah, why? I mean, it's a troubling picture. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there on the YouTube well, chat. Well, certainly it, it it's, it's got to be a screen grab. There's no way I would have looked like that for a picture. <laughs> yeah, I don't think somebody said, hey, post, and that's what you looked like. I think, that yeah. was my reaction to over 10 on third down last night. Jake, sorry. Um, that was you sorry watching to that play. Two yeah, a.m. last night. I remember when Kelvin Sampson was hired as the head basketball coach at Indiana. And he was hired as the head basketball coach at Indiana after Mike Davis had departed. And about midway through his introductory press conference, I thought to myself, you know what? Kelvin Sampson took Oklahoma to a Final Four where he lost to Mike Davis. So Indiana has hired a coach who, in his biggest moment and his biggest game at his previous stop, lost to the coach that he's replacing. And then I thought to myself, wouldn't it be an odd coincidence if Jeff Saturday or the Colts lose out here Jeff Saturday's retained, and then they hire Derek Carr, and you think to yourself, so they've gone out and jettisoned Matt Ryan to replace him with the quarterback that's the only one that Jeff Saturday was able to beat as a head coach in his interim stint. It's Kelvin Sampson all over again. That's yeah, the- that would that'd be very fitting. 
<laughs> I actually I do like Derek Carr, but I did see a great stat. Derek Carr is just the third quarterback uh, in NFL history to lose nine or more games in six or in six different seasons in their tenure as a quarterback. Do you think Ursay's belief in Ballard is because Ursay wants to believe in what he originally believed in? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, I believe that Chris Ballard, Jim Ursay is a guy. He's a loyal guy to an extent. And I mean, we all want to be right to a degree. I Correct. mean, let's not act like Ursay is on an island with that. Kevin, I'm going to say this for the 50th time probably. I remember when I was a kid sitting at Hillcrest Country Club and Jim Irsay, who was a member there, was sitting by the pool and was super nice and gregarious and talked to everybody there. And I thought to myself, that's the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. And quite frankly, that might have been his greatest signature moment as a general manager because the things that he did from a GM in, from a from a transactional standpoint were regrettable. He traded multiple first-round picks for Freddie Young, who had a blown-out shoulder and could barely pass a physical. You know, the Dickerson trade was a cool thing, but they wanted with Ron Meyer to run the wishbone and relive the glory days and get the band back together. You know, the the same things you see now, the nostalgia for the glory years for Jim Irsay. I truly believe the only thing in football that Jim Irsay had his thumbprint on where he wasn't – where it didn't go well was when he was the general manager and I truly believe that Jim Irsay still is trying to exercise the demons of poor decisions and failed executions when he was in charge of the day-to-day operations of the football team from a personnel standpoint and so therefore I think that he probably stands by people too long at times because he is hell-bent and steadfast on showing that he made the right decisions in the people that he put in place, all because he is being overcompensatory for an insecurity of an area where the last time he had those decisions, they didn't pan out. Well, you know, he kind of said that to um, ESPN last night about Frank Reich. He called it a reluctance now in giving Reich that extension. But at the time, he's calling Reich and Ballard, you know, the best head coach GM duo in the league. I I think on the Ballard front, Jake, and I know we're up against it a bit, if you were to bring in like a third party that knew very little about, you know, NFL GM operations, I guess, in the NFL, and they were to ask, okay, what does your general manager believe in? And you explain to them, you know, offensive line trenches, and then you showed them the results of the offensive line in the trenches this season, that third party would be like, ooh, well, that's not very good if that's what that person believes in, and that's the actions of the investments that have been put into that group. And then the other part of it would be that that is your blueprint. Like, that's what you believe in. You look around the league, and the majority of teams that are having a high level of success choose to build their operation in a different way. I think if you look at those two things, and again, separate yourself from it. Excuse me. You all right there? We, we can't see Kevin, so... <laughs> I think he's getting choked did you, up. Did you swallow your water down the wrong pipe? I know there, Nick brother? Foles played bad, but not enough to get all emotional about it. I almost feel like here's the problem, just so people know. 
Kevin being down in Florida was no problem yesterday because we had the, the Microsoft Teams and I could see Kevin. We we don't have that this morning. So as a result, we can't. Like, he, I mean, he might be choking. I, I'm here. <laughs> push, a, push a button if you need us to call. You want me to text gosh. Maddie and tell her to check on should, you? Should we get I'm light here. alert for you? <laughs> can, like swallowed a frog here. <laughs> as you were. <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of forget where I was. Third party, we all yeah, do something, something on that front. Are we up against it? Yeah, I think you could take a break here. I think you're fine. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Uh, I'd like to know what other people think about last night's performance as well in the direction of the Colts. So we'll do that. Stephen Holder is going to join us at nine o'clock, but we'll take your phone calls in the next hour as well. We also have our fans I feel like of the Nick game Foles to get to. Scrambling right now, I'm barely alive right now. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin is Matt Ryan and Nick Foles all wrapped into one here on a. T- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Tuesday. We'll get into some Pacers chat here coming up in just a couple of minutes. Also, would like your phone calls on your thoughts on last night. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. Uh, Kevin hanging by a thread after uh, errantly drinking a swig of coffee or something that went down the wrong pipe this morning, but happy to report that during the break he checked in. He is still with us. Yeah, uh, yeah. Salt water. <laughs> I, yeah, I actually just went out right. to the golf, Jake. Yeah, I just, you know, I we said just... it earlier. I was like, you know what? I might run in there. I, I tweeted last night, and I mean this in all seriousness. Who wins a race, Nick Foles or Matt Ryan? Oh, boy. Probably Nick Foles, right? Did Ryan. you see the one play last night where, like, he started to scramble, and then all of a sudden, like, him and the Chargers defender, they, like, hugged each other? It was a very awkward, like, two-hand touch moment. That's there the were, holidays. People just, you know. There were a lot of awkward moments last night. And that's, sure. you know, I'll tell you who I felt really bad for. As I was watching that, and I mentioned earlier, I mean, I Gus sat Bradley. through. Well, I, yeah. I sat through a lot of bad Colts football in the 80s and 90s and there were there were so many times that people were excited for Monday night football at the RCA Dome and yet there were so many just uh games I mean I remember the 9-6 game with Buffalo the 31-0 game against San Diego in 93 the Giants came in in 90 and it was like 24-7 and you were just thinking to yourself like is anybody anywhere watching this game outside of Indianapolis, right? And that's what it felt like last night. I truly felt bad, Kevin. I was thinking about the number of people, and kudos and credit to the city of Indianapolis for, for showing up last night for that game. But all I could think about was the number of people that were in the stands that, like in August, there were people out there that when the schedule came out or whenever the schedule came out, they were like, you know what? The night after Christmas. Oh, yeah. The, the, the rising L.A. Chargers and Justin Herbert and, 
you know, the juggernaut Playoff offense. implications on the line. Right, like the Colts, the, you know, they're probably, this might be the game where they clinch the division. Home field might be in play. I'm going to spend $275 a piece and buy Uncle Jim stocking stuff for two tickets to the Colts game. Like, that's, I, I am so excited. And then, literally, Uncle Jim opened those up and was like, Oh, thanks. And then had to go down. I got a big presentation on Tuesday. I don't know if I can make it. <laughs> seriously. Awkward. I mean, seriously. I, I felt bad for the number of people that the money that was spent to go watch a huge pile of crap, which is all that was. It was terrible. It was bad football. Just bad football. Well, and Jake, I don't know about you, but I was reminded of last night where the franchise has gone in the last 12 months. Think about this same week last year. Um, the Colts had one of the finer wins I think the franchise has had in quite some time in Arizona on Christmas, missing several important players due to COVID and got themselves on the brink of playoff clinching. And since then, in losing to the Raiders, losing to the Jags to end last season, you've won four of 17 games. Four of 17. And I believe the offense has scored more than a touchdown in less than half of those games. Um, That's pretty humbling to think that in 12 months you've gone there. And the continued questions are obviously there at quarterback, pass rusher, um, left tackle in terms of long term. And and I should say edge rusher because a guy that I do want to mention, Jake, who I think has played pretty good football for you the last month and was really important last night in making a couple of plays is Dio Adengbo. Um, I think he's shown you something here in year two. Again, had the Achilles injury, so you knew that year one is mostly going to be a red shirt. But if you look at that defensive line group, I mean, Stewart, Buckner, studs, and, and what Dio Dengbo has given you, and I think a little bit more, you continue to see now he's back from injury, from Quiddy Pay, you do like what you see uh, from that defensive line group. You know, I realize this this isn't a possibility, but what would be ideal for the Colts? If Chris Ballard is going to be retained, kudos to Chris Ballard in this area. We, I, I kick Chris Ballard a lot, okay? But in terms of the defensive side of the ball, Chris Ballard has done has found some talent and drafted deep- great at linebacker. Correct. And I would say that the Gilmore signing was outstanding. I totally agree. On the defensive side of the ball, I don't think anybody has issue with the Colts. That defense last night played well. They played hard. They just, you know, they ran out of gas and, and probably out of spirit, quite frankly. Right. But if they could bring in, and I'm just talking pipe dream here, like a Jim Harbaugh, and have an agreement that listen. For this year's draft, we're going to draft offensive players, and we are putting that in. You are in charge of it. You are in charge of offensive personnel. Chris Ballard will build the, has built the defense. We will let you do offensive personnel. You might have something there. Now, I mean, that's a pipe dream. That's never going to happen. Sounds like the dreamiest ego situation of all time. Correct. It's never going to happen. But in a perfect situation, it feels like that's what needs to happen because the defense does show – promise and solidarity and the offense is totally inept and they have spent where Ballard has aired is spending money offensively in the areas that just have not gotten ROI notably Quentin Nelson again 
I'm not saying he's not a great player, but tw- he's not a $20 million player, and that money should have been spent in other areas and other situations. And you know, Jonathan Taylor is going to be a big decision. So there are a lot of things that offensively – in other words, I trust Chris Ballard defensively at this point. I do. I don't offensively. I just don't, Kevin. Yeah, I, I would say edge rusher has been the one area, you know, from a draft standpoint where he has struggled. But to your point um – been really, really sound on that side of the ball um, at, at, at different levels and different parts of the draft. I mean, you continue to see Zaire Franklin as a seventh-round pick and think, uh, boy, that's a great, great find. Um, and feel free to jump in on this one too, Mark. We now have three head coach openings here with two weeks to go in the season. Uh, Denver joined the fray yesterday, rock bottom over the weekend for the Broncos. Again, I mentioned it earlier, fifth head coach in NFL history to be fired before the end of year one. Urban Meyer, of course, last year. That is Nathaniel Hackett. How are you guys ranking how attractive those openings are. Carolina, Indy, Denver. Rank them most attractive to least. Okay, Carolina, Indy, Denver, right? Yep, those are the three right now. Okay. Boy, I would put probably Denver has a huge question mark because of Russell Wilson. That's the only drawback that I see in Denver, quite frankly, because they have a, it's, it, it's a great franchise, great place to live. And I do think that John Elway has some competence about him. I, you know, but Russell Wilson, man, that's a huge, huge, huge arbitrage around your neck, right? Indianapolis, I think has intrigue except for that. I'll be honest, Kevin, and I don't mean this to kick the guy, but I think there are coaches that would be concerned at this point over Jim Ar- Jim Ursay's involvement or over involvement. Yeah, definitely. Um, Carolina, you got the same quarterback situation. Indian Carolina. For coaches, it all comes down to who's the quarterback, right? Who am I? Who am I going to be coaching at quarterback? For example, if if the job were to come open, Houston, I think, would be more intriguing than any of those because they've got the number one overall pick and somebody's going to be like, hey, all right, cool, let's go. So I would probably say in that order, Carolina would be one based on the fact that they are trending in the right direction. Then I think Indy and Denver are kind of a wash because of the Russell Wilson situation. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think... I think Carolina is number one because you also get a top 10 pick. They're currently eighth. So you get a top 10 pick there. You can overhaul that roster, whereas the Colts, they should they will have a top 10 pick as well. The Broncos, not only do you have the Russell Wilson thing, you have no first-round pick because that's going to Seattle. So right. you're stuck with a quarterback, and if you want to go get a quarterback, it's going to be luck, really right? hard yeah. to go get one. So I would rank, rank it Carolina, Indianapolis, Denver. Boy, I, I think I would actually put the Colts one. Um I'd go Colts, Panthers, Broncos. Now, the ownership element that Jake brings up is necessary to bring up. Uh, Denver and Carolina, both very new ownership. Denver, very new with the Walton family. And Carolina, Dave Tepper, uh, this will be what? Just his second head coach that he has hired. Um, So I think that is something you would factor in. If you look at Carolina, their cap situation is not – as beneficial as where the Colts are. I think the Colts are still decent from a cap standpoint. Carolina is a little bit worse 
with that and the Colts right now, their pick is higher than Carolina. Um, it, it's probably pretty close, but I think I'd put Indy slight. I don't. I just don't look at Carolina's roster and think, can anyone name like three Panthers players? You're right, but they at least. You know, Carolina they are was somewhat a, competent in a what is it vat of suck? You always say, Jake. <laughs> That's right, Carolina. I mean, Kevin, this sounds crazy to say, but think about this: Carolina was an Arizona collapse away this past Sunday from taking control in their division. Well, if they went out, don't they win the division? I, I think that's right. I mean, which I'm again, at it. It, it is more a byproduct of the division that you play in more than anything. I would put Denver third. I mean, you guys laid out the reasons for that. Uh, No first-round pick of their own. I I, I do think they have a late first-rounder with the Bradley Chubb trade. but um, And obviously, the Russell Wilson thing looks pretty broken to me. We'll, We'll see if somebody thinks that that's fixable. But also, just contractually, I mean, you have invested so much into him. Again, draft pick wise, it's not um, ideal at all. You, you know, a name for Denver, and I don't know, maybe I'm looking a little bit too much in the Peyton Manning tree, but I'm curious if Jim Caldwell's name would pop up in Denver at all. I think Caldwell's name could pop If he's interested in coaching, I think his name should pop up in places, right? Does Peyton have more influence in the Denver hire or the Indy hire? Oh, I would say Denver. Denver. Boy, don't you think Ursay values? I mean, what's his relationship with the Walton family? Well, the difference. I think Ursay, if if Peyton told Ursay, yeah, hire this person, and I'll show up to a few more games next year, he'd hire him. But the difference being this, Kevin, I think that Peyton would voice his opinion to Denver unsolicited. I think yeah, Peyton would point. wait for Indianapolis to ask his opinion. One of the caveats should be that he has to do a Manning cast of a Colts game. You can make the decision, but do a Colts game happen. manicast. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's part of the dotted uh, line. What what other? Uh, sorry, do we have do we have callers, Jake? You want to get to? No, I was going to ask you a, a totally separate question. But go ahead. I, I was just going to throw in there. What other openings are we expecting? I mean, again, we got three right now: Carolina, Indian, Denver. Do we think Arizona? Yes, I think Arizona. Okay. Texans and Raiders. That that those would be next on my list potentially. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Houston, you would think, right? But, I mean, Houston's starting to play a little better, I guess. And th- those would be firings of, you know, first-year head coaches in Lovey Smith in Houston and Josh McDaniels with, with, with the Raiders. Outside of those guys, I don't – I mean, I, I know there's always a surprise, but nothing jumps out off the page at, at me. You always wonder how long Pete Carroll's going to be there, right? I mean, could could he at any point? Good point. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. You know, I mean, and that's that job is of some intrigue. What about Todd Bowles? Do we feel like he's safe with the way Tampa's played? They've yeah, really that's. I feel like that's a dark horse one. That's a good. Yeah, one. that that is a good one. And I don't know how much how intriguing is that job though when you consider that I mean they're back they're in the same quarterbacking situation right I mean who do they go with? Yeah, I mean they got Kyle Trask, but I don't think anybody's looking at him like. Right. Boom! Here's the uh, here's the future or anything. You know, this job's not going to open up. But Mark, what is the overall tenor in Chicago on the job that Eberflus has done? Uh, I think most people like what Eberflus has done. It's been more of a well, look at the roster, look what they're dealing with. Like right. it's, it's a patient. They feel like waiting they feel situation. like a more 
I mean, three and twelve, but they don't feel that way. No, I told my like, dad. They don't feel totally incompetent. I told my dad at, at Christmas time. I said I've enjoyed this three and eleven season more than I did the year that they went to the when they were the last team to make the playoffs and they played the Saints with Trubisky and Nagy. I feel more confident and excited about this season than I have that one because this one you, you feel like you have the quarterback now <laughs> it's high and all that. I know nothing sums up a Bears fan more than what Mark just said <laughs> yeah. right there. Can I we clip that? Because it looks like we got the quarterback to go, and now you just got to build the pieces. You got a full complement of draft picks. You got over a hundred million dollars in cap space. Now build around Justin Fields. Mark, I would like I, to know, or uh, excuse me, Kevin, I would like to know if you are holding off now on the building of the Benedict Matherin statue. Uh, we, we, we've taken time away for the holidays, as I think many people um, do this, this time of year. Uh, to your point, the efficiency has definitely struggled here as of late. Um, so, yes, I, I, I would say right now we're just, we're just on hold. I mean, the weather's kind of crummy. It's not really a time of year to build a statue anyway. Have so. you considered making it a Tyrese Halliburton statue now? Boy, I said it you know, yesterday. I, there is some, There are levels of star in the NBA, and no, is he a superstar? No, but Tyrese Halliburton is a damn good basketball player, and it's not just a, I'm going to be one of the best assist men every night in the NBA. It's, I can score at a really, really high level. Um, and I, I just... I feel like he carries himself a little bit more like a number one guy than I maybe thought, which is impressive because that's not really his basketball background. You know, he wasn't some heralded recruit coming out of Wisconsin, went to Iowa State. It's not like they went on deep tournament runs with him, yeah, averaging 18 a game or anything like that. He wasn't even really the lead guy or the lead guy or two in Sacramento. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, time away for the holidays is how I would like to sum it up. You I know. Here's the thing about Halliburton. Halliburton's a great player. And he is probably an all-star player this year. He's a very good player and an all-star player. But to be a true great player, there has to be consistency night in and night out. And I'm not saying you're entitled to a night off, don't get me wrong. But it's got to be sustained in terms of just the efficiency probably with more than like a night off every third or every fourth. I, I think he's wonderful, don't get me wrong, and and I would take him over most players in the league. But I just, that's a maturity thing. You know what I mean? That's just a that's just an acclamation in the league thing of being the guy that defenses are honing in on, and he's done a remarkable job. Last night he did not have a great game. Matherin did not shoot the ball particularly well, let him in fit with 15, but uh, – you know, their offensive efficiency last night just was not there, and that's that's how you lose. I mean, last night might be the worst loss of the season. Yeah. I mean, you lose by 20 to a team that's that's missing their biggest piece. You're going to have that. their top five guys, Jake. They, they were missing four of their top five in minutes played. The disappointment there is that offsets. You get the, the wins, the two in a row in Boston and Miami. Those are two you, you, know, you probably didn't expect to get either one of them. So you cancel one of those out, so to speak. Uh, certainly, you got to bounce back tonight against Atlanta. They got a chance here to get some decent footing. I mean, you got four in a row at home: Atlanta, Cleveland, the Clippers, and then Toronto for Indiana. I didn't, I didn't realize Atlanta had the Holiday Brothers. Do they have two of them? Yeah, Aaron and uh, Justin are back with Nate McMillan. You know, it's Aaron Holiday. The thing about Aaron Holiday is, I think Aaron Holiday was brought here originally to be with the thought in mind that he would be the point, and in reality, he is an undersized two. 
he's a, he's he's got fine skill. He's just he is the guard version of a tweener, if that makes sense. Um, but Atlanta, you know, same right there with the Pacers, right? Seventeen, sixteen, similar, similar deal. Uh, should be fun tonight. I mean, Trey Young is obviously an exciting player, and we'll see what happens at the Fieldhouse tonight. Jeremy points this out. I think it's a good note here. Um, if the Chargers playoff game goes bad, they will fire Brandon Staley and hire Sean Payton. I think there's a lot of NFL chatter around a Sean Payton Justin Herbert pairing. That's the thing is Sean Payton. Sean Payton's going to want to go. You know, they talked about it last night in the broadcast. Sean Payton holds all the cards, right? And he's going to want to go somewhere that has quarter that has solidarity at the quarterback position. Plain and simple, right? A team would have to trade for him, right? He's still yes. in the contract with the Saints. Yep. Is he? Is he th- for one more year? Okay, then yeah. After this, yeah, yeah. I am very curious, Mark, how all that plays out. Yeah, same here. You know, watching those quarterbacks play last night, Justin Herbert was seven thirty varsity, and Nick Foles was six o'clock JV. It, it was just, it, it was another reminder of just how far the Colts are away at that position. And it's not like Herbert had a great, great game. He really didn't, but just the throws he makes. Like, when the Colts got behind the chains, it was like, oh, yeah, Nick Foles is going to get sacked again. When the Chargers got behind the chains, it's like, oh, yeah, they could still convert this. Well, he's got some weapons to throw to as well. But Yeah, Keenan Allen, pretty good player, and so is your uh, Clemson guy, Mike yeah, Williams. Yeah, Mike Williams, big target. I, and, I just and, think and the arm part. talent. I mean, I, arm talent is – I always laughed at that term. And I was He's like, got what the it, hell Jake. is arm talent? And then you see Patrick Mahomes and you see Justin Herbert and you go, okay, I get it. Like ESPN did that slow-mo of one of the balls he threw over the middle. I mean, it was the definition of a spiral. Yeah. yeah. He, whereas, whereas the Colts have these wounded ducks. Sounds like my voice at the end of last segment. <laughs> you, you, you audibly showed us what it looks like with Nick Foles. And Matt Ryan at quarterback. That is. It was one of those moments where, like, I could feel it fading, but I'm like, you know what? We're we're up against it. I feel like I can make it to the end of the break, and then, boy, I just, ah, just tripped and fell. Nine o'clock. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hour is underway here in Indianapolis. 9 o'clock hour is underway technically everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton is here as well and joining us now on the Payless Slickers Hotline, who I feel bad for because he had to endure that entire game last night. Stephen Holder, the one thing I will say, if there was a positive about last night, is there were a lot of people there that I felt bad because some of them probably got like Christmas gifts that people were excited to buy like in August when the schedule came out. But it was a pretty decent crowd, right? Can we say that much? Yeah, it was. It, it was. I, I imagine a lot of them were scrolling Instagram and, and doing other things, but they were there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the scrolling, that's right. Twitter, Facebook, everything else. All right, let's get to exactly. this. If they were doing that, the first thing they saw was on your network, ESPN, last night prior to the game, the interview where Jim Irsay said in an interview that was taped, I believe, shortly after the Minnesota game, 
that Jeff Saturday was a strong candidate for the head coaching position next year and that Chris Ballard would be back. Uh, do you believe both of those to still be uh, lock, stock, the, you know, the, the situation and case this morning, or do you think that he might have hedged since that interview was done? No, I don't think I, – if those two statements were accurate at the time, I don't think they've changed since. Uh, I'll say this. I I wasn't surprised by either statement. I, I think that it's certainly not the first time he said Chris Ballard would be back. I mean, he, he did say that after Frank Reich was fired and, and has been consistent with that. I think he said it a couple of other times now. Uh, but the, the Jeff Saturday uh, part of this, I, I think – I'm not surprised by that either, and I've also heard that from from other parties that he still has a, a strong liking for Jeff Saturday. Now, I think the problem with Jeff Saturday, if he were to make him the coach, beyond the optics, okay, which will be a problem in, in terms of the Rooney Rule, minority hiring, all of that, right? You know, the whole old boys club allegation, right? Whatever. Even if you even if you don't care about that, the the perception from the fan base, I think people will riot because they have watched some awful football here in recent weeks. And, and I don't think people want anything to do with Jeff Saturday as the permanent head coach. That's just me. Again, Stephen Holder with us, ESPN.com. And, and kind of going off that, Stephen, does it matter to Jim Ursay how the Colts look on the field under Jeff Saturday? Uh, that's actually – a a better question than people think, or a more relevant question, I think, than people think. Because what, the reason I say that is because I think the question for me, and, and the reason that's a relevant question, is, is did he expect things to magically change? And, and if you want to sort of justify keeping Jeff Saturday, right, this is very, very theoretical. But let's just say you wanted to. Uh, the argument would be, well, he needs to have his thumbprint on the team and he needs a whole off season and he can't come in midstream and, and, and change the trajectory of the team. I mean, that's the argument you would make if you wanted to talk yourself into Jeff Saturday, right? So that's why I actually think it's a, a relevant question because you know, the team did have some problems, right? I mean, it's not as if we... I mean, we certainly didn't expect things to change, right? So maybe Jamerce didn't either. I, I don't know. I, I, right now, what I would say is this, too. This is an overarching comment uh, in, in reaction to all of this. Is It's really hard to read Jamerce right now. You know, he's he's acted very, um, I don't want to say irrational, but he's he's acted very rash in a very rash manner, right, for the really for months. And so it's his right. He owns the team. Uh, he is the owner. But it, it certainly makes it hard to predict where things are going next. Stephen, one of the things to me that is intriguing, and you, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, you would be more in tune with this than I, so I'm, I'm going to defer to you here or ask your expertise on it. There have been years in the past where it was very clear that an underperforming Colts season had Jim Irsay PO'd and that Jim Irsay was livid and that Jim Irsay at times was embarrassed. And it seems to me that this year, I don't know if it's a softer, more aged, gentler Jim Irsay, but it seems like this year 
that he has more of like an inner content. And I'm not saying that he's settling, but that he feels there's an optimism that others don't seem to see versus in years past his viewpoint in disappointing seasons. Your thoughts? So I actually, I'm going to disagree. And and here's why. Because I, I think the reason we have seen him sort of take the wheel in, in a way that we have never seen is because he is not satisfied. And he is, uh, I think, pretty outraged about the state of the team. You know, and, and which is not to say, like, he doesn't have fault here too, right? Of course he does. <laughs> but whatever, be that as it may, uh, I think the reason, you know, he got so uh, actively involved in the Carson Wentz situation and and in sort of sort of dictating what they do at quarterback this year and then firing Frank Reich at midseason, which he had never done previously in his tenure as owner. I think all of those, to me, uh, speak to a guy who is who's increasingly frustrated. And again, his thumbprints are on it too. So whether he admits that or not, but, but that's what that says to me. It, that tells me that is a guy who's increasingly frustrated and also uh, lacking answers <laughs> because none of the moves they've made have, have made any tangible difference, uh, which begs a whole, uh, whole other uh, group of questions, I suppose. And Stephen Holder with us, ESPN.com. Appreciate Stephen uh, bumping up a day for us after Jim Mersey had that interview last night with ESPN. One thing on that front, Stephen, he mentioned quarterback as well, um, and I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but basically said, you know, the quarterback very much up in the air right now what direction we will be going. Do you think whatever the Colts quarterback decision is will be an Ursay mandate. That's one. And then two would be, do you read anything into that in that he didn't say anything about long-term or future in that answer or the need to go young, anything on that line? Am I making too much of that? Uh, no, I, I think that is that is true, and I think that's notable because, uh, you know, it's it's one of the things – uh, well, let's just put it this way. He he did not specifically say, you know, we need to draft a quarterback or we need to do this or do that. Uh, and and he's not above doing that at times, right? So <laughs> so I think it's notable that he did not. It may be a recognition that that it may not be an ideal situation in the draft. You know, I, I think this quarterback class certainly looked a, a lot better, felt a lot better, you know, nine months ago than it does now. So, so that's that may be a recognition of that. Who knows, right? You know, we're we're again trying to read Jamerse, which is dangerous. But, um, but I don't think you're. I don't think you're wrong. I, I think you're. I think it's important to note that. But I also think, on the other hand, that he has going to he is going to have Jamerse a lot of trepidation about not drafting a quarterback and, and going and getting another veteran quarterback. I, I don't think he wants anything to do with that just because of the way it's worked out. But but that doesn't mean they're going to force it either. So we will see. This is going to be a really interesting offseason. 
Again, Stephen Holtner with us, ESPN.com. Coaching staff-wise, Stephen, you know, we're going to look back at this 2022 season, and it's going to be offense, offense, offense. That was the issue for this team. It's a credit to Gus Bradley and Bubba Ventrone, those guys running their respective units for how solid they've been throughout. Um, if you were the new head coach of the Colts, who would you have more priority in keeping, Gus Bradley or Bubba Ventrone? Hmm. Good question. Um I mean, I'd consider keeping both, but I know that wasn't the question, but um, I, I don't know. I think, the, I think the defense is interesting. The defense is, is definitely the, the place where uh, they've had more impact, I think, this year. Um, even though I think the world of Bubba, right? I think the defense's ability to hang in there and give them a chance is the only reason they even have four wins, okay? Because if you recall, in the four victories they have, uh, the defense played lights out for the most part in, in some cases got some turnovers and, and gave the offense a chance, I think, in just about all of those uh, outside of maybe one, I think there were situations where the, the offense in, in the second half or fourth quarter had to rally and, and kind of come from behind and, and finally wake up, right? Because it, it didn't do so early in the game. So, you know, that, that doesn't happen without the defense, you know? And so that's, until you get a, you know, a, an elite quarterback, you know, that's somewhat of the blueprint is, you, you know, they're, that's, that's the way their team is, is constructed right now. They're a team that, you know, they have to get strong defensive performances and, and they're going to have to score a few more points. If they would have done that this year, they'd be in the playoff conversation, frankly, because the defense was good enough. So, I don't know. I mean, I think I think their defense is probably even better than people give them credit for. We just can't appreciate it because they're a complete mess on offense. Steven, I want to read to you, and you probably saw it, but I want your reaction to it. Um, Taylor Tannenbaum, who we both know was at WTHR, is now with the ACC Network, which I believe is a sister affiliate of ESPN. I could be wrong in that. Yeah. But, um, but you know, she covered the Colts for a long time and developed relationships also within the organization, as we all do when you cover a team. Bob Kravitz had sent out a tweet that simply said, Ballard hasn't earned a seventh season with Colts, but he's getting it, probably. Taylor responded with, fractured relationships with so many key players, how can he possibly be kept wild to me? The thoughts of Stephen Holder on that would be what? Well, I think that is coming from some of the some of the fractured in terms of like business relationships, and I think there have been. Well, for example, uh, you know the Kenny Moore situation. Now, Kenny was never getting a contract extension last year. Okay, or, or excuse me, this summer he he was never getting that right. But how that was handled behind closed doors, I have no idea. But I mean, but those are things that where you know things get tense, right? Uh, certainly there have been players who have, have tried to get contract extensions and haven't gotten them. There have been some tougher negotiations. Um, I think it's, I think it's probably driven uh, by finances, you know, in terms of where that's originating. It's it's just not reading her mind, but, but just, that's my sense. The other thing is there have been some, some players who, I guess some personnel decisions that were made that were probably unpopular. You know, like the offensive line, for example, uh, a couple of guys last year who, you know, departed and, and weren't brought back. Uh, that could have been helpful. Um, 
you know, T.Y. Hilton had some interest in coming back. They didn't, you know, they weren't able to make that happen. Uh, from from everything I know, that was uh, that boiled down to just you know not me being able to make it happen on on the negotiation side. Uh, so you know, again, not a that one's not a deal breaker to me one way or the other. But it's just one example, right? So look, I mean, sometimes you know the general manager's got a tough job and. <laughs> you're not always going to be popular. That's that's the thing, right? It's it's hard to to always make the the decision that's in the best interest of the team and also be popular. Um, we've seen that here before, I'm sure, right? I mean, you know, Bill Polian didn't always make decisions that were popular. So I, I think that's probably what she's getting at, and I think that would be something I would agree with. Do you believe, Stephen? Is it possible that be it Jeff Saturday, whoever it might be? And I think you kind of touched on this earlier, but. I was telling Kevin earlier, I, I do think that Chris Ballard now we can look at and say has done a nice job with the defense, with some of the players he's acquired. It looks like some of the – maybe edge rush, you still have a little bit of a desire, but some of the linebackers, some of the defensive players that he's drafted, he's had a good eye for. Is it possible that Chris Ballard would be willing to accept that whoever they hire at head coach does have some say in the offensive personnel that is going to be acquired? I wanted to circle back to that that you guys talked about a minute ago. I think that no matter what, honestly, I think Chris Ballard has is going to have some of his uh, authority. I, I don't want to say like usurped, but he's probably going to have to concede some things. I mean, he's already had to do that, right? I mean, with with Jim Mersey, he's clearly had to concede a lot of his decision making juice, if you will, uh, to Jim Mersey. You know, whether he has to to concede further I think that really is dependent on who they hire as the head coach if they hire a young first time head coach well he probably keeps a lot of his um, a lot of his authority you know if it's a, a, a head coach with some experience and someone who's in demand well that person uh, can can ask for some things right in, in the negotiations and, and will have some expectations I mean I don't have any expectation that Jim Harbaugh is coming here, but I mean, it's a very different scenario if you hire Jim Harbaugh versus, you know, whoever the young up-and-coming coordinator is this year, right? You know, as a first-time head coach. So it really it, it totally depends on what the head coach hire looks like and what the expectations of that individual are. Again, Stephen Holder with us, ESPN.com on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, I don't know how extensive your conversations have been with Chris Ballard this season. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's been pretty quiet even behind the scenes. Um, but do you get any impression that he would feel like his voice has been muted a bit and he would have some concerns about coming back? So I would I would answer your question in part. I mean, I are there concerns on his part? I think absolutely. I mean, we we know they were not aligned on the Jeff Saturday decision. I mean, there's there's really no bigger decision than your head coach, right? And, and I know it was an interim, but I mean, he's had half the season left. It was a very consequential deci- decision, right? And to 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 not to not have uh, the ability to to impact that decision that had to be just like a you know a cold bucket of water for for a guy who has been able to really you know drive most of the the consequential decisions that have happened around here the last few years so yeah i mean i think 
there's definitely some concern on his part because that's why you came here because in part because you came to work for ownership that you trusted and you thought that you were going to be able to, to do as you saw fit. Uh, it's also been six years with, with not a lot of results and, and things can change. Now, as to the other part of your question, you know, would that prompt on his end uh, some sort of reaction in terms of leaving or, or otherwise? I mean, I, I think that is a really harder, that's a much harder thing to predict just because, uh, you know, look, he's under contract. Uh, there's family considerations, certainly picking up and moving your family. Uh, the money's probably very good, right? So it all depends on, on what the new structure looks like and and how willing he is to maybe bite his tongue. But he's not a man who bites his tongue very much, too. So that we know. Uh, last one from me, Stephen. I'm not sure if you had this in, in a tweet or if it was in a story, um, and I'm probably going about a week or so back. Um, but you said something to the effect, and again, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, that you know, Chris Ballard has had a very prudent approach to free agency. Is that owner-driven? Is that something Jim Irsay agrees with, likes, wants? I think we've all been under the impression that's Ballard 1,000%. And if I'm not mistaken, you were kind of hinting at the owner is a fan of that, likes it as well. Right. So uh, I, I can't remember the exact words I used, but but yes, you're, you're, you're explaining it pretty accurately. So what I was trying to convey is that yes Chris Ballard is I think truly by nature conservative with free agency I I do believe that Um, I would also say they have paid their in-house players pretty handsomely whether you agree with with who they paid or not right they have paid those guys a lot of money however I do think there is there are some realities here Uh, they are a small market team you know they do not have you know, there's there's a salary cap, and people get this confused, right? There's a salary cap, which is you know whatever that number is, uh, and it's applicable to every team. But that doesn't mean that every team is working with the same amount of money, even though there's revenue sharing. There are all kinds of other sources of revenue that you can tap into that are outside of the revenue sharing that is divvied up by the 32 teams. Small market teams have much less access to those streams of money. And the culture in that group, so it is not a level playing field. That does not mean that that every team. That does not mean that that Jim Irsay is is going to be uh, standing outside of your local mall with a sign, you know, in a bucket, you know, asking for spare change. But if there's a but, salary cap, Stephen, what everyone has, you're maxed on what you can spend on payroll. Correct, right? But but it also is it also is sort of a. Uh, it's also a smoke and mirrors kind of thing, right? Because what people have to really pay attention to is cash. And so, do you ever notice, I've, I've explained this before, you ever notice the Colts, they almost never do huge signing bonuses. They just, they, they go year to year. They give you a big, a big um, roster bonus in many cases. And I'm, I don't want to get into the weeds here, but the reason for that is the roster bonus is paid immediately. So they're going year to year with their money. They are a cash cap team so they are not projecting out uh signing bonuses that are going to extend out three four five years because they know they're going to have plenty of cash that they don't operate like that they are very much like all right well we have what we have and we're going to we're going to spend that that i think does affect you 
come March in free agency. And I think they have had to make some conservative decisions. You have to cut some corners, right? So some of those offensive linemen who maybe they could have brought back for 5 or $6 million, that's where they end up cutting corners because you've got to take care of the, the big contracts. So you end up cutting corners in places like that, and this is where it comes back to hurt you. You cannot cut corners in this league without consequence, and I think the Colts have done that to their detriment. So tell so me I this. That explains it. I don't know if that's very helpful, but – Tell me this, Stephen. I'm a diehard Colts fan. I love watching the Colts. I like to watch every game. It's appointment viewing for me. I clear my calendar to watch, and I want reasons to watch. The storylines for me to watch the final two weeks are what? Ooh. I mean, you know, your wife is giving you a long honeydew list, and it's a good excuse to not do it. I don't know. It, it, it's it's not good. It's not good, man. I'm just being honest. It's really not good. Uh, they are an uninteresting football team right now. That's the problem. They're just not an interesting football team. I mean, when you can't move the ball, I mean, Nick Foles last night looked like a guy who hadn't played in two years because he is, <laughs> you know, and when you can't move the football, there's just not a lot of reason to watch. And thank God for, you know, DeForest Buckner and company and Stephon Gilmore, at least, you know, giving – giving them a little bit of a spark and making it interesting. But, man, this is it, – it's really, really hard to watch. So, yeah, I'm sorry. That's probably not the great answer for the flagship station, but that's where we are. <laughs> <laughs> Off to New York for New Year's Eve and the New Year's Day. Woo-hoo. One o'clock kick, Colts and Giants coming up. Short week for Indy. And, again, as Jeff Saturday said last night, which his words have led to different words and actions throughout the week, it will be Nick Foles here on Sunday. Steven, thanks for being flexible with us. Yeah, you got it. No, no problem, guys.